Hey everyone, you're listening to the Authors of Mass Destruction podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I interview subject matter experts about weapons of mass destruction and emerging technologies and authors who write about them. We'll discuss the ethical, societal, and technical aspects of science and technology so that you can tell great stories and still get the details right. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 20 of the Authors of Mass Destruction podcast. My name is Natasha Bajma, aka WMD Girl on Twitter. I'm a fiction author, national security expert, and your host for this podcast. If you're interested in science and technology and reading good fiction, or want to write fiction based on technology, you're in the right place. Before we get started, a few notes. The views expressed on this podcast are my own and do not reflect reflect the official policy or position of the National Defense University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. The Authors of Mass Destruction podcast is proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Check us out at www.authorsontheair.com. If you enjoy my podcast, I hope you'll become a patron for just a few dollars a month at Patreon. That's www.patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. As a patron, you'll be able to submit questions to the show and get access to tip sheets on nuclear weapons issues. So this week, I'm going to uh, skip over the tech headline and give you a little bit of a personal update. Um, Last off, I left you, I think, in Michigan, where I had very limited uh, internet access and had to drive into the city to actually record and upload this podcast. I spent a couple of weeks in Michigan. That's where I'm originally from. And then I proceeded to drive to Texas with my two dogs and all of my belongings that could fit into my small car. And it was a very interesting trip. Um, It was the last week of June and um, I was a beast on the road. I made it all the way from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Little Rock, actually past Little Rock, Arkansas. I was so proud of myself, all to set myself up for the next day, um, hopefully to arrive in Rockport, Texas uh, in the early afternoon. Uh, Unfortunately, on my second day of the trip, I had a flat tire, which led to a six-hour delay. Um, And uh, very interesting, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, um, so I had to be towed 96 miles um, to a dealer where I could get my run-flat tire switched out. Um, They only had one tire in stock, and that was in Houston, so I had a fabulous detour to Houston. Um, I still made it to Rockport that evening, however, it was 10 p.m. at night and not early afternoon. Um, So why am I in Rockport? Well, um, I don't think I said this before. I have quit my job um, at the National Defense University to become an independent consultant. And um, I'm about to reveal my website and my company name. I'll probably save that for next week. Um, But basically, I wanted to be able to do more creative things like this podcast, like writing my fiction. And um, while my parents have a house in Rockport, Texas, and so it's a bit of free rent. And by the way, Rockport is actually very, very beautiful. So I've been enjoying um, the beach, um, enjoying the wonderful weather and working, of course, very, very hard, not to give you any weird impressions that I'm doing nothing here. Um, I will continue to work as an expert consultant for the National Defense University, hence the caveat at the beginning of the show. So now that you know where I am, where I'm talking to you from, we can move on. So let's get to the interview. This week, I'm talking to Kate Fold. She's the director of Hollywood Health and Society at the Norman Lear Center at USC Annenberg. We talk about the impact of media, entertainment, and storytelling, and the power of having accurate technical information in your stories. 
Welcome to the Authors of Mass Destruction podcast. Today, I am with Kate Fulp. She's the director of Hollywood Health and Society at the USC Unenberg Norman Lear Center. She had an early career in television and music production management and has been working for over 20 years in the entertainment education field. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I think my listeners probably are not familiar with the Norman Lear Center or Hollywood Health and Society. So perhaps you could start out by talking a little bit about both. Sure. Um, So the Norman Lear Center was founded in uh, 2001. Um, We're part of the University of Southern California Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. So it's quite a mouthful. But the Lear Center uh, was founded to study and to shape how media impact society. So it's a larger organization um, of which Hollywood Health and Society is a uh, signature project, but there are other projects um, within the Lear Center. Um, uh, The Lear Center has the Media Impact Project, which is a research project that looks at the impact, that studies the impact media have on audiences, on their knowledge, attitudes, behaviors, and all kinds of things, and how um, not only entertainment media, but news and other sorts of media um, can affect uh, audiences' attitudes and behaviors and so forth. Um, And then my project, Hollywood Health and Society, which looks at um, or works with the entertainment industry to help inform and inspire storylines that can be of benefit to society. And that has to do with health and safety and security and a number of other uh, socially related topics. So you essentially are helping writers kind of get the, some of the technical storylines correct. Is that what you do? Yes. So Hollywood Health and Society, we're a free resource to the television and entertainment industries on anything to do with health, safety, and security, as I said. And that, um, that works in a few ways. Um, first and foremost, writers can contact us uh, with questions about a topic that they have already uh, decided to write about. Let's say a, an entertainment show has a character with breast cancer. And so the writer wants to understand everything about breast cancer and how that would affect the character, what the doctor would say, you know, every uh, protocol, treatments, life expectancy, you know, all those sorts of things. They can contact us and we can get the information for them if it's just a few questions, or we can also put them in contact with an expert on that topic so that they can sort of do a deeper dive into the subject matter um, to understand it better for their storylines. We can even bring those experts into the writer's rooms to sit down with the whole writing team if it's a a bigger storyline. And uh, and again, this is to uh, inform their storyline that they've already decided they're going to write. In addition to that sort of reactive um, outreach that we have, we also do proactive outreach in that we do events and have a newsletter and other things to sort of highlight topics that might have been uh, missed 
by the entertainment industry, or perhaps it's a new development in science or medicine um, that we want to make sure they're aware of, uh, or changes in some sort of treatment or something, we want to make sure that they're aware of um, just to keep it um, highlighted for them so that if they are uh, deciding to write about that topic or a topic that's relevant, um, that they have that information in front of them as well. So why do you think film and TV is such a powerful tool to inform on health, societal, and national security issues? Oh, well, uh, because the data show that it, it is. I mean, we've done, we've done dozens and dozens of studies on the impact of entertainment storytelling on audiences, as have other organizations and other universities and so forth, to look at how storytelling really impacts viewers. And what we find time and time again is that narrative storytelling um, has a greater impact it it sticks with the viewer longer than a sort of more didactic telling of an of an issue. We've even done studies where we've compared sort of a documentary style informative uh, video piece versus the same information being uh, portrayed through a story, through a little narrative. And we've looked at uh, the audience's learnings and retention on those uh, facts and time and time again we see that the narrative has a much greater impact and I think that just goes back to you think about uh, we've used storytelling since the beginning of man you know in terms of how to convey information to one another and um, television and entertainment storytelling film and so forth is just a, an extension of that and it still works very very it's very very powerful um, in how it can reach audiences with important information, which is why uh, one of our mandates at Hollywood Health and Society is to ensure accuracy around those health and medical and scientific um, and policy issues. Because, um, because it is so powerful, we want to make sure that it's as ac the information is as accurate as it possibly can be so that we're not misinforming audiences. I think that's a, a really fantastic mission um, from, you know, but from the perspective of writers, why should they want to get things accurate? Great question. Well, um, there are many, many, many writers of shows that really do care about their audiences. And so they want to portray information that might be of benefit to them. Uh, but uh, there are also those uh, writers that are just interested in pure entertainment, making their audiences laugh. And first and foremost for any television writer um, is <laughs> keeping their job and <laughs> keeping their show on the air, you know, which go together. And uh, so their first and foremost uh, priority is always entertainment because they want you know, they want your eyeballs. They want you watching their show because that will keep their show on the air and they will keep a job, um, understandably. Um, but even those writers that don't really care, and I'm not saying there are that many out there anymore. I, uh, with all the writers that we work with here at Hollywood Health and Society, most are very concerned and, and care about their audiences. But even if they don't care about the health or well-being of their audiences, they care that they stay watching. 
And we've found also that accurate information um, creates more compelling content, that audiences these days are pretty smart. And especially around health and science and things like that, they, they know if something is not quite right, especially health, because we all have, you know, our own personal health that we've, we've had to manage as well as, you know, we have family members and friends that are going through all kinds of health issues. And so if something rings a little bit off on a show, um, that audience member can disengage and change the channel or lose interest. And God mm -hmm. forbid those writers don't want that happening. So it behooves them to be as accurate as possible, um, even if they don't care about their audience's well-being, but just to keep those audiences engaged. So what kinds of things do you absolutely have to get right? And where can you take artistic liberties to maximize mm -hmm. entertainment? Yeah, well, um, I'm not an expert on, on that, and a lot of that has to do with uh, the creatives out there, the master storytellers that know where they can push the envelope a little bit. But, um, but it's interesting because there are certain things that we, we as people can suspend disbelief on, like Matt Damon getting to Mars. Right. You know, we're sort of okay with, okay, he got there, even <laughs> though that's impossible right now. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we would not be okay if he were gardening the potatoes wrong. You know, that would be, that would sort of cause a red flag for everyone. <laughs> so it's interesting to me when you look at, especially sci-fi, you know, the things that can be, we can sort of suspend disbelief on and others that really have to be pretty close to accurate. And it probably has to do with the things that are more familiar to us. But in terms of um, safety and security and medicine and things like that, it's critical that um, certainly information uh, that has to do with health and medicine needs to be as accurate as possible. Now, we understand that when you watch Grey's Anatomy, um, you know, the doctor that sees you in the emergency room uh, in real life probably isn't going to be the same doctor that operates on you in the OR, you know, several hours later. However, that's kind of how they do it on Gray's Anatomy. We can sort of suspend that, but in terms of the medicine, in terms of what the information is about that heart transplant or about, uh, you know, the kind of care needing to be taken to prevent you know, HIV or whatever, those are the kinds of things that have to be as accurate as possible. Mm -hmm. So it's a fine balance. Um, mm -hmm. And we work with each show, it's kind of different and it depends on the setting of the show and is it in the past, is it in the future, is it current events, you know, that sort of thing. We take all of that into consideration as to where we can kind of um, push it a little bit or not. I mean, I've had experts who are very adamant about, no, there's a difference between the breast cancer one gene and the breast cancer two <laughs> gene. And we have to be specific about that. That's something that on television, if you go too deep into the weeds about that, we're going to lose the audience. But is it important to tell them that there's a gene that they can be tested for to find out if they have a propensity for breast cancer? Yes, that part is important. So we don't have to dive too deep into the details without conveying some very important and accurate information that would be of benefit to the viewer.
Yeah, because the likelihood of the viewer actually recalling those two genes is very low, but the likelihood of them recalling that there is a gene that increases propensity for cancer is high. Correct. Exactly. So I saw on your website, you've worked with many different shows across many different networks. Um, can you tell us about any shows you've been working on specifically on weapons of mass destruction issues, and that can be um, nuclear, chem, bio? Yeah, sure. Um, we have worked for the last couple of years, actually, we've worked pretty closely with the show Madam Secretary, which is on CBS, um, which is a political drama. Um, has to do with a, a woman who is a secretary of state. Um, and so there's a lot of international relations that they deal with on the show, of course. And we've worked with them over um, the last couple of years on uh, several different storylines, some that have had to do with, one had to do with a dirty bomb that takes place in Washington, D.C. Another one had to do with um, sort of a version of the Iran deal um, and those talks sort of going sour. Of course, this is going back a year or so now. Um, and then uh, more recently for their season finale of last uh, season, they did an episode um, that had to do with a um, deployment of a, nu of a, a bunch of nuclear weapons that are headed toward the U.S. And what um, the protocol is for the president and, and the the rest of the White House and the rest of the nation in terms of how to respond to that and how much time there is or lack thereof. Um, so we, during the development of all those stories, um, we were able to bring in experts from the government. We brought someone in from the Department of Defense to speak with them. We brought uh, former Secretary of Energy uh, Ernie Moniz in to speak with them. Uh, we brought in other kinds of nuclear scientists and experts and policy experts and even historians um, around the issue of nuclear weapons and in the case of the dirty bomb and, and things like that, other kinds of security experts to sit down with the writers, um, answer their questions. Um, funnily enough, some of them, you know, they would ask a certain question and, and the Department of Defense guy would say, yeah, no, I'm not going to answer that for you. <laughs> You're going to have to just make that up. <laughs> so that, uh, it was interesting. But yeah, so that was, that was an interesting sort of journey with um, Madam Secretary over the last couple of years that started with sort of smaller dabblings about um, nuclear weapons and other kinds of um, weapons of mass destruction, and then finally kind of culminating in this very, um, very, uh, what do I want to say, uh, tense and suspenseful, dramatic um, season finale last year, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't watched it, but I highly recommend watching it. Uh, I, it's super I, interesting and a lot of fun. I do as well. Actually, I'm a fan of the show, um, and I remember the Iran episode, and what I loved about that episode, I also teach a class on film and WMD, so I teach on WMD issues through the lens of TV and film, and what I loved about that episode with the Iran is that there's, you know, some, you know, crisis that goes on with Iran and nuclear weapons and verifying the agreement um, on on the, the, the joint comprehensive uh, JCPOA, um, that's the acronym, um, but it, right. the agreement with Iran. And what was really cool about the episodes is it showed very much um, visually 
that if Iran were in abrogation of its commitments and refused inspectors uh, on its territory, mm -hmm. that would be a pretty good signal um, that they're headed in a different <laughs> direction. And that's what I mm -hmm. love about that episode. And I've re referred to it a number of times. And then the nuclear weapons episode, the night watch, that season finale, um, I mm -hmm. won't spoil it as well, but it's a modern take on some of the kind of cold war scenarios um, where there are nuclear weapons launched and the U.S. policy community and the president have to race to respond to it. And while they do that, they contemplate the end. And um, I, loved, exactly. I loved how you did it because the Cold War version doesn't work anymore. Um, we don't live in that right. intense environment. Um, young people don't even remember the Cold War. They weren't even alive during it. And, um, but I felt that it, it did a really kind of modern version. So I encourage anybody um, to go and watch that. Madam Secretary, it's called Night Watch. Great episode. Um, and I also saw recently that you did an episode on the measles. And I really liked that episode mm -hmm. as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about that one? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, uh, we, we, we don't do the episode that we no. they do it. We help <laughs> consult with them, yes. but <laughs> just to make that clear, but, um, but yes, we're, we're happily, uh, we happily work with them on a number of topics beyond weapons of mass destruction. And one of which, well, and I suppose you could think of measles as some sort of mass destruction if it gets out of hand, but, um, but yes, they, uh, were interested in doing, a storyline around uh, an outbreak of measles and the conflict with folks who refuse to vaccinate their children. And so the episode um, actually uh, takes place, or the outbreak actually, they trace back to having take, taken place on a cruise ship, which had an international um, uh, group of people, you know, in right. on the ship. And so that, you know, the, the worry was that the outbreak was going to spread internationally because, um, uh, you know, patient zero was on that ship and these people were getting off in different parts of the world and so forth. Um, and one of uh, the Secretary of State's staff members' child um, is exposed and gets sick. Um, she has had one of the vaccinations, but with measles, you have to have two. You have to have a booster. And she wasn't old enough to have had the the second round of vaccinations, and there's a very slim chance that you can get measles after just that first uh, shot. And of course, because this is drama, and again, here's kind of suspend disbelief a little bit. So they they had her be in that very small percentage of people who can contract measles even after having the first vaccine vaccination. Um, so her child gets the measles and is in is very seriously ill, and another couple who were on the ship, their child was not vaccinated and also um, becomes very ill from the measles. And so it allows them a platform for kind of having that conversation about um, vaccines and whether or not to vaccinate your child and the risks that you're taking and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so we were happy to bring in, um, you know, connect them with experts on infectious disease and particularly on the measles as well as you know on vaccines and and even some information on um, sort of the anti-vax uh, I don't want to say it, there's there's no fact behind it but the point of view okay. of some people <laughs> um, 
just to you know help them in terms of their crafting the dialogue. The the episode is very much pro vaccinate your children. <laughs> it is not um, giving much. Um, you know, it doesn't give any credence to any reason to not vaccinate your child, but it, um, you know, it does have this couple there who kind of learn, um, right. learn why it's important to vaccinate mm-hmm. your children. Uh, yeah. So I, it was, it was pretty powerful and actually got a lot of uh, press about that episode. Yeah. I loved, I loved that episode. I loved the nuance in it. So um, I think what people don't realize is just how contagious the measles is. I mean, we are talking, if, if you have no one vaccinated, um, you can have up to 16 cases per one case of the measles. And, you know, it can stay in the air for a couple of hours after right. an infected person has left the area. So you can like literally not come into contact with the sick person and still contract the measles. And what's so important is that how this is a public health situation that if everyone, if there are people that don't participate in vaccination, it can kind of literally turn into an epidemic. Um, Absolutely. Very quickly. As a matter of fact, we, um, we worked with a group that created a, um, I guess it's an app um, or a website where you can go and um, it's very much kind of like if you're familiar with nuke map (laughs) where you can go (laughs) and put in your city and then see what would happen if a nuclear um, bomb hit your city. Um, This you can go in and put in your information and see how quickly a measles epidemic would spread in your area. And it's pretty frightening. Um, and we we actually do, in addition to supporting uh, Madam Secretary in terms of um, the research for their storylines, um, we also often help uh, support their, them through social media and we offer additional information and resources through Twitter and Facebook connected with the show or the episode and sometimes with the um, network as well um, to offer the audience you know additional resources for the information that's being presented in the episode. And so we offered um, that website so mm-hmm. that you could go and put in your own town or your own city and see how quickly a measles uh, epidemic can spread. And it, it's pretty harrowing how quickly it goes. And to put it. So in- that's the kind of information, yeah. again, that <laughs> needs to be accurate. Yes. You know, that information needs to be accurate mm-hmm. on, on the show. Um, and there are other you know, smaller liberties that they can take without um, sort of affecting the accuracy of the information. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you, you know, you provide websites, other resources, I also saw that you recently co-sponsored a panel on politics, TV, and nuclear war, bringing together activists, policymakers, experts, and, and those uh, folks from the entertainment industry, all about building a, a safer world free of the threat of nuclear weapons. Um, it featured uh, a lot of really big names. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, we've actually done several around this particular issue of nuclear policy and nuclear weapons. But the most recent one, um, we partnered with the Plowshares Fund um, to bring together, um, as you said, uh, activists and policymakers and others um, to talk about uh, what they uh, call saner nuclear policy. Um, In addition to uh, some of the experts that were on the panel, we also invited um, and 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 was attended by 
uh, one of the executive producers of Madam Secretary, a couple of writers from creators and writers from the show The Leftovers and the show Manhattan, and um, one of the creator executive producers of the show what, The West Wing, um, as well as other political shows. And they were there to also comment on how they have addressed these kinds of issues in their programming. Um, so the the gathering was sort of twofold. It was to talk about policy, and we had on the panel um, actor Michael, Michael Douglas, who uh, this issue became important to him uh, way back when he made a movie a long time ago <laughs> that had to do with um, uh, nuclear power and nuclear weapons, and um, as well as uh, Ben Rhodes, who hosts the podcast Pod Save America, sorry for competing podcasts. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, but was also former um, national or de deputy national security advisor for President Obama. Um, Ted, Representative Ted Lieu, who's from California, um, who's also uh, co-sponsoring the um, Restricting First Use of Nuclear Weapons Act. Um, so there were a number of people and also an activist um, from a group called Beyond the Bomb, the young woman who's become very active in this issue. Um, part of what we're trying to do um, with Plowshares is to raise awareness of the issue of nuclear weapons um, amongst young people, which is why uh, you know we're trying to work through popular media as well, because as you said earlier, I mean, young people, they don't they weren't even alive during the Cold War. They don't even think of it, much less World War II. They think nuclear weapons, if they think about them at all, is something from back in the day, and they aren't relevant today. And we know, certainly by um, what's going on in Washington <laughs> the last couple of years, and um, and Iran, and and other North Korea, and other parts of the world, that they are very relevant today. And um, we need to raise awareness about this and, and help people to maintain some level of understanding about what they are and, and um, you know, what's possible around this issue. So we brought together, you know, this illustrative panel plus these uh, amazing storytellers from television um, to talk about, you know, sort of where we are now, um, where certain policymakers would like us to go, and how can we you know, get this information out to the general public to help them also understand that this is not a topic that's, that should be limited to the scientists and the policymakers. This is another perception that I think we, we tend to think, oh, nuclear weapons, like that's for physicists and policymakers, and there's nothing I can do to uh, weigh in on this topic, but it is something that clearly affects all of us or certainly would um, And so we all need to have some level of understanding about it And so that's why we're trying to you know connect through popular culture and other ways to help um, Broaden just the general public's understanding of what they are and what are you know what's involved in that issue um, currently Yeah, I've um two personal anecdotes to kind of emphasize everything that you're saying. The first is, you know, Michael Douglas, he produced the 1979 China Syndrome. That's the movie you referenced. And mm. um, it was a movie that I saw early in my life. Um, I think I was about eight years old. 
Um, and wow. my, my dad let Your me Your parents that. let you watch that when you yeah, were eight years old? That time an expert <laughs> in WMD, they ruined me for life. I kind of was like, oh yeah, <laughs> nuclear stuff going down, not a problem. You know, as a young child, I was watching the Terminator and things like this. Yes. Um, this is what happens. Uh, but I, my, my awareness was raised about nuclear issues and it was, um, a number, I would say hmm, 15 years later when I was in grad school and I decided I was very interested in energy security and nuclear energy and China syndrome is about a meltdown at a nuclear plant. And, um, so I got very much involved and that was my entree into WMD, but the other kind of interesting anecdote from the impact standpoint, and this is one I like to hit on my podcast often that that writers should seek impact with their writing it is about entertainment yes but i think i believe you can have both and i believe that impact mm -hmm. can accelerate the entertainment value um, but michael douglas um, has uh, been a un messenger for peace for many years and when i was at the united nations in 2003 um, he came to visit my boss and i had my picture taken with him <laughs> um, so, um, here we have, you know, an actor producer, um, you know, really engaged with these issues and it just, it just shows, you know, that we can do more with, with entertainment. That's kind of basically my pitch for my podcast. So in closing, yeah, I'm wondering if you have any advice for authors and screenwriters interested in writing about nuclear weapons, you kind of hit on, it's not just about the scientists, it's not just about the policymakers. What types of stories should they tell if they're if they're seeking impact? Oh wow! Well, again, that's <laughs> sort of uh, they're the master storytellers, and uh, every time I think I have a really great idea for a storyline <laughs> or an episode, and I think, oh, if they made this character do this, that, or the other, it would be really cool. And then when they end up doing a storyline on the subject matter, it's so much better and more nuanced and interesting than anything I could have ever come up with. So I'm always very careful in terms of trying to think I can do what these master storytellers can do because otherwise I I would be one of them. I would be <laughs> out there writing the shows. But, um, you know, so I encourage any screenwriter or TV writer to, to contact us. Um, we're happy to help put you in touch with um, experts and information to sort of pique your interest and, and help you to sort of think about the stories that you might want to tell. But there are plenty of sort of um, unusual suspects or unusual kinds of stories that relate to nuclear weapons that I've learned about just since I've been involved in this, like its effect on the native peoples in the United States um, and just how those two worlds collide. And they collide in a very interesting and, and sometimes very distressing way. Um, so that's something that, you know, I. I learned and I think is fascinating and certainly we don't have enough stories about Native Americans as it is out there and so that's a very untapped area and I think something that's very interesting. Um, uh, you know we have worked with shows that are very much sort of reality based like Madam Secretary and we've also worked with science fiction shows and actually one of the panels that we did um, last year in New York um, called Friday the 13th, we had it on Friday the 13th, uh, rewriting the nuclear horror story. Um, we had the screenwriter from the Planet of the Apes movies. And because there's a nuclear war uh, piece to his films, 
um, and because his last name, his name is Mark Baumbach. And I said, well, you have to be on the panel just because your name. But, um, but anyway, uh, so we had him on our panel to talk about how science fiction um, addresses these issues. And, and we also had a, a historian on our panel which, who asked the question, why is it that sci-fi is so many futuristic films and sci-fi movies and even TV shows are sort of after the nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> and why can't we, why is it so hard to portray a society that lives peacefully and honestly without that seeming nefarious? You know, whenever you see a community living in peace and harmony in a film or on a TV show, <laughs> there's some evil dictator behind it all, or they're all in a cult, or there's something nefarious about it. Why is it so hard for us to accept a peaceful society as something that could be actually just real and good? So we had a whole conversation about that among screenwriters at the Writers Guild in New York and these nuclear experts and other experts um, on our panel about, you know, how do we craft stories that are still dramatic? You know, we understand you need conflict and drama and all of that, but how is it that, why, why do we always have to be after the nuclear apocalypse? Isn't there something that we could um, see in the future that's positive and good, that we've built a safer world and a saner world and those kinds of things? So I'm always challenging writers to think about that. And if anybody can do it, they can because mm -hmm. they are the master storytellers. So think about how can I portray a really interesting, positive, greener, saner society in, in, in the future, you know? So I guess that would be, that would be one of my wishes. And so, we've seen a few, yeah. a few films coming out like that of, re, of late, but I think there's plenty of room for more. Mm -hmm. I agree. So um, where can listeners find you if they wanna look at your various offerings and resources? Oh, sure. Well, we, um, our organization is called Hollywood Health and Society. And if you type that all in uh, with the word and, so just blend it all together, HollywoodHealthAndSociety.org, it will take you uh, there. You can also find us through the University of Southern California's website if you put in USC.edu and then forward slash HHS that will take you to us as well. And, uh, and there uh, you can learn a lot about what we do and also find uh, telephone contact and emails. Um, you can also send an email directly to, oh dear, let's see. I think it's hhs at usc.edu. And that's our general email and you can um, email there and if you have a specific question or an issue you're interested in, we will connect you with the appropriate person here at our office to help you with that. And again, our services are free and uh, for the entertainment industry, we don't charge, we don't pester you to have a credit on your show, we're just here to help you get the facts straight and correct. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Authors of Mass Destruction podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Natasha Bajma. 
For more information about the podcast, go to www.authorsofmassdestruction.com. See you next week!